Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Today, oh, let me show you something. Well, someone who listens to the podcast of the lectures in Vancouver, whose name is Nick, you can see him there. Now, I don't know, that's pretty impressive. See, there's a modern butterfly, there's, isn't that excellent? So, so Nick from Vancouver, thank you. Props to Nick on that. It's not the actual picture I was thinking of. I have the sneaking suspicion you photoshopped those. <laughs> but either way, it's pretty impressive. Um, today we're talking about genetics, and I'll mention a couple of things about selection. Um, I know that very broadly you know that uh, how that works. We're going to get really intensely into it, uh, guess, probably next time. But today we'll talk about genetics, because first we'll get the basics of how the sort of the unit of heredity, which is the gene, and then we'll talk about how it works in the larger uh, scheme of things. So for behavior to be affected by natural selection, in other words, by evolution, right, we have to have some variance in that behavior, because we're talking about behavior, right? We have to have some variance in that behavior that is affected, uh, sort of that is inherited, that is genetic. It doesn't mean that the, that the, the, the something is completely genetically caused, which is a, a you know, complete, ridiculous um, oversimplification of how things work. work. It means that we can account for the variance, and those of you who have taken 3256 will understand this, those of you that haven't, well, wait until you've taken that class. But the idea is that some of the variance in the behavior can be accounted for by variance in the genes. So if you think of variance as a thing, and I mean the statistical concept of variance, okay? How much things just move around. That some variance in the behavior, or whatever the behavior may be, so call that B, and some variance in the genome, that there's some overlap. Some of you now have a flashbacks to learning with multiple regression last year. So variance in behavior overlaps with variance in genes. So we can look at something like height. Let's think of a, a, a human height. Okay? It's not a behavior, but it's a characteristic. The variance in heights of people, well that could be for behavior here, so now let's make it C for, or C for characteristic. And then we look at the variance in genetics of the parents. Okay? So the variance in genetics of the parents, and of your parents, or everybody's parents, and the variance of our heights overlap about 0.8. So we can explain the variance in height, we can explain 80% of it by the variance in genetics. It doesn't mean that 80% of your height is caused by your genes. It doesn't mean that everything up to your neck is your genes, and then neck up is environment. 
Okay? But just that there's overlap between the two. That's what this means. If there's complete overlap, one to one, like there is pretty much with, we need to sync the genes here, so the gene for PKU, which is a, a genetic disorder. The gene having that disorder, so having that disorder and your parents' genetics is 1.0. In other words, if we look at the genome, we are measuring the same thing as we are when we measure the fact that you have PKU. Okay? So you've got to, I know it's kind of hard to think of this, just because something is, we aren't saying that it's 80%, we're saying 80% of the variance can be accounted for in a characteristic by variance in genes. Okay? It's a subtle, strange point. You have to keep that in mind. Are you yeah, eighty percent just for height, or for height? For height. For height. So we can think of other characteristics. We can think of um, IQ scores and the heritability. This is here. It's called heritability. Okay. This is a heritability calculation. Eighty percent. Or sorry, uh, about sixty. CS is as low as forty, and as high as seventy. Most of the literature says around sixty. 60% of the variance in genetics accounts for the variance in IQ scores. It doesn't mean that 60% of intelligence is genetic. It means that 60% of the variance in an IQ score, for example, can be accounted for by variance in the genes. Okay? Now, if there was no shared variance between the characteristic and the genes, the characteristic couldn't be passed on, could it? Right? It couldn't be passed on from parent to offspring. It could contribute to fitness. In other words, it could affect your reproductive success, and that's what fitness is. And again, we'll talk more about that next week. So it could, it could contribute to your fitness, but it couldn't be passed on uh, like it couldn't evolve, let's say that. So, what's something to contribute to your fitness that probably is a lot, a lot of heritability? Oh, I don't know. How long your hair is. If it becomes very popular to have long hair, it may, be pop it may then affect your uh, fitness to have long hair. In other words, you have more mating opportunities. Do you inherit your hair length from your parents? Well, no. Right? You could, it could be passed on socially. That's called a meme, not a gene. But in, in this case, we would have something that would affect fitness, but it wouldn't evolve. You wouldn't end up with more and more long hair showing up. Right? That would be more on the wave of sort of fashion. Okay? So it can contribute to fitness, there's no doubt about that. It's so only heritable, genetically transmitted variation can be affected by selection. So the only thing that can be affected, that natural selection or evolution can act on, is heritable, genetically transmitted variation. So also something can be, have a heritability of 1.0, but if everyone has the same version, 
So let's go with two eyes. Pretty common in the mammals. That's, I think we would all agree, pretty much 100% hair. I think we can probably say that's true. But is there any variation in this? Well, yes, I know there are people that are, you know, and dogs or whatever, that rarely have to get home with one eye. I'm sure it happens. Sure. But it is so rare that we could say it doesn't exist. Right. So, while it's completely heritable, it can't be affected by selection. Because there's only one version, which is two of Okay? You know, wouldn't it be great if we could, uh, if we had gills and, you know, and then if the water, water world happened, you know, and suddenly we're in a very bad Kevin Costner movie, it would be very advantageous to be able to just extract oxygen from the water. Wow, boy, that would show up for you, except that no one's like that. So, see, that's not how evolution works. It's not like, oh, you know what I could do? It's not like it's a plan. Alright, one of my favorite quotes in the history of psychology is from Donald Pepp, who was a uh, Canadian, um, I guess we call him today, a cognitive neuroscientist. Uh, we call him that today. He, him and Brendan Milner and Wilder Penfield pretty much invented the field of cognitive neuroscience. All of them, by the way, in Montreal, at the Montreal Neurological Institute of McGill University, which is right at the, in the uh, I think, the west end zone of... Crystal Molson Stadium, home of the Montreal Alouettes. Great Cup champion, by the way. You see that? You go to, see, this is the difference between the NFL and the CFL. First of all, CFL, you watch the games, you're paid about the same those guys are. And that makes you feel good. The second thing is, at the end of the stadium uh, where the New York Giants used to play, there's always still been the rumor that Jimmy Hoffa, former Teamster boss, was buried in the end zone by the Mafia. In Canada, Guys aren't paid that much, and we have a high-end neurological institute in one end zone. And it's actually there. You can sit in the neurological, and you can actually watch the game. I always thought about, you know, we'd be doing a sabbatical there, just because it would be a way to get season's tickets. <laughs> I can't do an experiment. There's a game on. So Hep said, trying to determine how much of a behavior, he actually said characteristics, so I, uh, I shouldn't have completely the quotes, so that's my only thing from the end there, but behavior... I'm sure he would agree, and we don't know now because he's dead, uh, is due to genetics and how much is due to the environment. is like trying to determine how much the area of a field, perhaps the area of personal Molson Stadium, is caused by its length and how much is caused by its width. Right? That actually puts it really in a lot of perspective because you can't have length without width. Right? Except in those new 1D movies. They just have width. It's uh, not a kid. What this basically is saying, the less eloquent, eloquent way of putting this is the, the nature versus nurture argument is stupid. Move on, please. Stop arguing about this. Stop wasting your time. First time I saw this quote, it was like it was one of those points where you get like a, you get a little shiver, you'll think, ooh, that's brilliant. I wish I would have said that. Because I've been saying for a long time, it's stupid to worry about these things, but I never had a great way of saying it like this. Because you can't have environment without genes. You can't have genes without environment. You can't have nature without nurture. You need them both. And see, he's not saying that the genes 
set the, you know, uh, sort of ultimate level you can get to, and then the environment kind of fills it in. So this is something to keep in mind, and in fact, we talked about human behavior or, or non-human behavior. Realizing that there's going to be genetics at play all the time is a reasonable thing. Realizing that there's going to be environment at play all the time is a reasonable thing. Questions about that? Okay? All right. So some key terms. Uh, a gene. What's a gene? There's two ways really to define gene. A gene is either the smallest unit of heritability, which is a nice operational definition. It's also... Um, a piece of DNA that codes for a protein. Okay? Either of those work. Either of those work just fine. The genotype is the genes that an organism has. Okay? So we can list them all, assuming we do the whole genome, which we don't for most organisms. And you can say that's the genotype of Jordan. The phenotype is the outward characteristics. Okay? The phenotype are your outward characteristics. So, now, the phenotype, there's going to be things like the length of your hair that there's probably no genetic variation to worry about there at all. definition is a bunch of genes. I mean, it's basically, it's genetic material that lives in the cell nucleus. You usually have pairs of them. So, that, you know, a human, a human has 23 pairs of chromosomes, 46 chromosomes, for example. A locus is a place on a, on, a, on a gene, a point on a gene. So when we talk about the locus of a mutation, a change, we say where on the gene is there a problem of some sort, perhaps, or is there a change? So it's a problem if it's a genetic disorder, um, or it could just be if there's variation, but there's so many things. It's like, well, why does it code for a protein like this and this with this gene and this with this gene? Oh, we take a look. Oh, there's the difference right there. So it's, it's just where uh, a difference occurs. An allele is an alternate form of a gene. Most of the genes that we all have are almost exactly the same. All of us in this room have almost exactly the same genome. However, we don't, phenotypically, we're all quite different, right? So there are alternate forms of genes. Right? Alternate forms of genes. So, I mean, the classic example here is um, the human's blue and brown eyes. Right? So, you get two pairs, two pairs, you get one pair of, of alleles, of, of different of, of genes. So, so, you got one version from your mom, one from your dad. So, you have um, brown eyes and the brown eye gene from both parents, from mom and from dad and mom. You could have that genotype, 
which is brown and blue, you could have blue and brown, or you could have blue blue. Blue or brown, right, basically just coding for the pigment in your eye, are alleles. They're different alleles of the same gene. They both make a pigment in your eye, right? But one makes blue, one makes brown. And you see, because you've got, you've got uh, two copies, one from mom, one from dad, we'll go dad first and left, just so dad, mom, dad, mom, dad, mom, dad, mom, you end up with a different phenotype based on your genotype. So no, it was just an alternate form of a gene. Um, we can have diploid, let's put both diploid and haploid out. We can have diploid and haploid cells. A diploid cell is a cell that has pairs of genes. There's chromosomes, therefore pairs of genes. Almost every cell in your body is a diploid cell. Almost every cell in every animal body, except for those weird things about bees, are diploid cells. A haploid cell is that only has one set of chromosomes or one set of alleles. Now, there are cells in your body right now that are only, that are haploid cells, and those are your sex cells. Right? They've only got 23 chromosomes. They don't have 46. They don't have pairs, they just have single copies of each. Single versions <coughs> of each. By the way, um, the women in the room, you were basically born with all the eggs you're ever going to have. Jordan and I are making sperm right now. That's what men do until they die. I know it's kind of gross to think about it, I'm just saying. So again, you know, that's, that's, that's why we win. It's just kind of, they're different strategies, they're actually just different strategies. Females, as a rule, have the slow and steady wins the race strategy. Males have the, well, you know, if you just make lots, who cares how long they live? Some are bound to live, and everything, it's, we're like Sparta. Did anybody get the reference to Sparta there at all? You take the babies, you put them in the, in, in the, in the woods for a little while to see if they live, and if they live, then they become warriors. If they don't, they just don't die because they're weak. Sparta! No, 300? Anybody? You didn't take any history? I mean, I saw you reference of a movie. What did I teach you guys at school now? It really, I find it disturbing. Anyway. So, haploid cells are sex cells. Now, in some animals, a male uh, social insects, male, uh, most social insects, so male uh, bees, ants, wasps, they're actually all haploid. Because remember, they're from unfertilized eggs, so that's the day. Uh, gametes are just sex cells. So that's either um, eggs or sperm. A zygote is when an egg and a sperm get together. Well, me and Daddy have had a few drinks. And they're celebrating 
a new refrigerator. A friend of mine actually has been told by his parents he is, he is much younger than his sister, and he was told by his parents that he is an accident and a celebration of them buying a new fridge. <laughs> they, they love him a great deal. He's a wonderful guy. He's got great parents. They're a little bit off. You know, never knew where he was. He turned out just fine. He's okay. You call up, you know, is, 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 is he in there? I don't know where he is. His mother used to say that he's 15. Okay. He's making fun of that. He was proudly telling this to people. You know, I'm the celebration of a refrigerator. That's <laughs> pretty funny. So as I go through an egg and a sperm meet, a recessive gene and a dominant gene. Okay, so you get, think about your zygote. You got, let's think about eyes. This is the best way to think about it with eye color. So you get a big B, that's brown from your dad, and a big B, that's brown from your mom. If you got a big B and a big B, you got brown eyes. If you get a big B from dad and a little B, so uh, brown from dad, blue from mom, you're going to get brown eyes. So your phenotype is going to be brown. If you get a little B, that's, again, blue from dad, and a big B, that's brown from mom, you get brown eyes. Because brown dominates blue. The dominant gene. If you get a little B from dad and a little B from mom, you get blue eyes. Because it's a recessive gene. Okay. It's a recessive gene. And we see this a lot. We'll talk about some examples in other animals today as well about recessive genes. This should tell you, by the way, yes, please. I don't have your answer. That's a question I'm interested in. I do believe, however, I may be wrong on this, that green is, I think green is dominant over blue, but brown is dominant over green. So one of your parents would have brown green genome, but they have a brown eye uh, uh, phenotype. So then if you have one green in that parent, and then you have blue, you have to get blue for both parents because blue is recessive, you end up with green eyes. No, you should be more concerned if you've got two parents with blue eyes and you've got brown eyes. That means either you were adopted, which is not a bad thing, or that's not your father. <laughs> which, I mean, your parents love you, it's all great, let's not worry about it. It was a thing that happened a long time ago and they just sort of hoped that through the years they'd never learn this. <laughs> I did have this happen to me once. Someone came up to me after class and I didn't say that thing that I just said, and I said, um, how could it work if both your parents had blue eyes and you had brown eyes? I looked at this one and I said, I thought, oh, that's just blue and brown eyes. <laughs> I said, well, um, that's genetically impossible. She said, both my parents have blue eyes. I said, you should probably go talk to your folks. Because <laughs> that's not, I shouldn't be. And she said, well, what are the possibilities? And I said, well, you could be adopted. Are you adopted? That's, that's possible? I don't think so. My mom has my baby book and everything. I said, okay. I would talk to mom before dad. <laughs> you know, I just, just ask mom. Oh, forget about it. Your parents love you, right? Everything's cool. Don't let it bother you. Or maybe you were about to they haven't told you yet. 
And why am I sitting here thinking, oh, God, I'm just digging myself a hole here, you know? <laughs> kid's going to be in therapy for years. As long as your parents love you, it's all cool. Who cares who they are? It's my view. Um, now, you can be homozygous or heterozygous for a, uh, a trait. Homozygous means you have two of the same. Okay? Heterozygous means you have one, one allele and one other. Typically, heterozygosity, which is a great word, um, is superior. Not necessarily, now sometimes I'll give an example in a second, but not necessarily for the phenotype of the animal holding the heterozygous genome, but for their offspring. What is, what is it again? Homozygous, which means you have two of the same. Okay. Heterozygous, two different. Um, variability is pretty much a good thing, because what's variability allow you to do? Well, if you have one kid, one offspring, whatever, I'll say kid now, if you have one kid that isn't adapted to the environment, chances are still, because you have another version of that, of, of that gene, another allele, that the next kid will be. If suddenly things screw up and having blue eyes is really horrible, or having brown eyes is really horrible, you want to be able to say, well, I, I, when I roll the dice, I've got two possibilities and not just one. So that's better for your offspring. Now, there also aren't pure dominant recessive relationships. There's a lot of times things called partial moments. Uh, we'll talk about some of that today. But if you think about the genetic disorder sickle cell anemia, which is a disorder uh, common among um, African people, people and people of African descent as well, um, their red blood cells are shaped like sickles. And they, they of course, they, they break easily. They're not ramped. So you get sickle cell anemia, uh, which means basically it's, it's pretty debilitating. Having, and it's a, it's a single gene, and it is a, a, a dominant recessive relationship where you have, if you're homozygous for sickle cells, you will get sickle cell anemia, and the, the, your life expectancy isn't very long, things like that. You know what happens though, if, you, and you, if you're homozygous, like everyone in this room is, because no one here's black, right? Because um, it, it's, it's a thing that black people have. Um, you get red blood cells like we all have. However, if you're heterozygous, you get somewhat misshapen red blood cells. You might think, well, how would somewhat misshapen be good? Eh, it stops the spread of malaria. Guess where they have malaria? Africa. It's actually an adaptation to have to, have, to be heterozygous for sickle cells. Okay. Now, a better way to deal with malaria is you know, not to get it and then take quinine. Right? Much better way. Or self I think self drugs work too. Um, but we didn't figure that out until the you know, 1850s kind of thing. And of course, in the States, no one gets malaria, yet there's a big black population, and there's, there's a real problem with sickle cell anemia because you know, there's nothing you can really do about this. Okay. All right. Do these terms all make sense? Any questions about these? Please. Can you, can you explain about the definition of gene? Gene? Yeah. yeah, gene is just either the smallest unit of heritability <coughs> um, or a series of, there's a way to put this that's accurate, but I'll be there in a sec. Uh, a piece of genetic material, a part of the chromosome, sorry, that codes for a single protein. 
Let's go down. Part of a chromosome that codes for a single protein. Okay, I'm never going to ask you this stuff. You did this in grade 10. Right? And if you didn't, what are they teaching you people in school nowadays? But teach you had a text. Pretty much all they teach in school, right? Just, just that. Hey, you get off my lawn with your phone. Um, okay, this is my post. This is not that interesting because this is just basically. This is my Where's that? Equatorial meat face plate. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I've never noticed that before. This is not that's something that's a mistake I kind of would make. This is not my diagram. I borrowed this off the internet from somebody. That's great. Nobody's noticed that before. I've used this diagram a lot of times. Meat face. That's great. Well, we start out with bacon face. <laughs> then there's cheese face. Oh, that's great. That's outstanding. Thank you for noticing that, Julie. That's great. Because I'm going to leave that there. I'm never going to do anything about it. And I'm going to always find out if anybody ever notices. Because I've used this diagram. Like, oh, it's a great diagram. It's got the blue and the red. Oh, you'll see why that's important in a second. It's very useful. Oh, great. <laughs> Neat face. <laughs> what else could you have here? Nothing really. Yeah, there's no really other good ones that could be like good typos. Banana face would be fun. All right. This is basically just the cell splitting up, making it into cells, right? You know, cell division. That's what mitosis uh, is. The interesting one here is meiosis. Again, I'm not going to ask you this, okay? But what this does, it shows you how sex cells are made. And this is why is this interesting? Um, because this shows where a lot of the variation comes from. We have the red chromosomes are paternal, so in other words, they're the, the from the father. The blue ones are maternal. Okay, now what happens here? Look what happens here. They don't just split off paternal on one side, maternal on another. Right? It's not like your eggs or your sperm, not in mine, um, are just father sperms or mother sperms, father eggs or mother eggs. What happens is, they split off, you get some father and some mother in both. And it's not even just like, okay, we'll put chromosome one over here for father, chromosome one for mother here, but don't pay chromosome two for mother here and two for father here. It's not even that. That's way too simple. If you can see what happens here, we get here right around banana phase, right after meat phase, where... Chromosomes split off and then recombine with other chromosomes. So you get part of father and a little bit of mom, a whole bunch of mom, a little bit of dad for that chromosome. And then they split off. It's called recombination. See, because if you didn't have recombination and you didn't have, uh, and then, you know, not just father here, mother here, you would be identical twins with all your brothers and sisters. So this is what's happening here. This is what's giving us, this recombination is what, this is a lot of um, genetic variation comes from. This is why you can be quite different from your brother or sister. You will still share 
half your genes with your mom and half with your dad, and on average, half with your brother and half with your sister. But you can be quite different from your brother and your sister. And some people can be very similar to their brother or sister. This also explains things like, you know, uh, sometimes you look at a, a kid and you think, well, they don't really look anything, a whole lot like either parent. And then you see a picture of, like, their uncle and go, oh, my God, you look like your uncle's, you look like your uncle. Right? So this recombination is really important because this shows you can get a lot of variation. So each cell's a little bit different. And by the way, the four daughter cells came, which is pretty cool. And they're all haploid cells. Does that make sense? Again, I'm not going to ask you about meat phase and banana phase, which I'm never going to ever use the proper terms ever again in my life. That's the greatest thing ever. I'm going to have to show that to people saying, so you see a typo here? Okay. The recombination is actually the source of much of the genetic variation that we have. In all the simplest organisms, there are organisms that go, some from dad, some from mom. There are ones, and that's an exceedingly simple thing. There also are organisms that you get, um, you know, dad, mom, mom, dad, 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 mom, mom, dad, like that. Like, so it's just whole chromosomes going over. But again, we're talking about really simple things like, uh, as far as animals go, like a hydra, like I mean, really bizarre, simple, simple things that you would, we don't really care much about. So, hydra even an animal? I think it is. How do we get new genetic material? In other words, new alleles, ones that we've never seen before. Uh, mutation. But yeah, you see all the steps there. There's a lot of places to make mistakes. There's a lot of places to make mistakes. And it's the only source of new genetic material. Most mutations are pretty bad. Most of them, in fact, are lethal. Most mutations result in, um, say, in a mammal, they just re result in, in termination of a pregnancy. So basically, it just ends very, very quickly, too, because the, the, uh, the, the zygote almost immediately is not viable, it just dies. It's, it just goes away. So in neutral, uh, we figure. There's a lot of genes that we have that don't seem to be doing a great deal. We think. There's a lot of what are called introns, and they're just basically, um, he used to call it junk DNA, but a lot of that DNA is actually uh, really is ancient retroviruses, which is cool. Um, and it's doing very little. So when that stuff gets messed up, it's no big deal. It's when, you know, I can't, it's hard to think of something that would be neutral, that would be, because this is a pretty, these are pretty complex things, animals. Yeah, please. Something like uh, when I have like, a cleft lip, is like a mutation where it doesn't kill you when you're a baby? Yeah, but it still wouldn't be, now, nowadays, it's, it's neutral. Because we can fix it. Mm. Right? And it would But it wasn't lethal. No, 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 it wouldn't be lethal, but it wouldn't be but it would still be bad. Oh. It'd be bad because it'd probably affect your fitness. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> like activism? 
What is what's that? Like extra digits. Yeah. And in fact, extra digits are weird because uh, if we had uh, having five fingers and five toes, uh, that's the same uh, suite of genes that controls um, how your, your genitals develop. So it'd be great to have six or seven, but you'd probably never be able to reproduce. That's not saying that everybody that has, like my aunt, who has kids, has six toes on one foot. Right? She also has a blue eye and a green eye. She's like a genetic stew. Um, yeah, there's people, and it's no big deal, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty much, especially nowadays, because people are kind of enlightened, first of all. And secondly, if you want to fix something like that, surgically, it's not that big a deal, right? So today, we would be neutral. But in history, that wouldn't have been neutral. It would have been negative at the very least. Would it have been lethal? No, it wouldn't have been lethal. Wouldn't have been lethal. Dave? Yeah, please. Uh, I heard somewhere that blue eyes originated as a genetic mutation. Yeah, sort of white skin. Yeah, um, probably the original humans were, were, were dark. It makes sense. We come from Africa. It would be pretty sensible for us to start in the dark. Or we would have all had skin cancer. Right. Um, the thing about more melanin, um, more melanin can lead to melanoma. <laughs> right. So, and it can lead to uh, if your eyes are dark, um, there's more probability of, of getting. Um, uh, my my mom just told me this. There's more probability of getting having uh, retinal damage. Okay. Um, but yeah, blue eyes almost certainly were. Yeah, that makes sense. You know. Um, what? I don't know the function of having blue eyes, though. It would be hard for me. Like, white and black skin is pretty easy to figure out. Um, the function of different shaped eyes, like almond shaped eyes, like why Asian people have, makes no sense. Right? Um, they probably evolved in snowy areas, and some built in snow bubbles in some perspective. It makes a great deal of be very advantageous. But, yeah, I don't know what blue eyes were for, but I mean, that sounds completely sensible. Because we probably were, were, were black originally. All the humans. Which is something great, and it should piss off. I love anything that pisses off racists. So, we're all from Africa, and we're all originally black. So it's kind of it's cool. Yeah. I love that all, we're all related. I think it's so neat. I just, you know... You know, and we, this is more in our evolutionary psych class, but, you know, we all go back to about 2,000 people. There's less genetic variation in humans than there is in any other mammal. And we sit there and we look at each other and we don't like the way people look because of the color of their skin, or the god they worship, or the language they speak, and we are more related than any two damn chimpanzees you're going to find. And I just think that's cool. Science for peace. <laughs> um, so, very few convert advantage. And I, again, we can think of things like perhaps in the environment where white people ended up showing up, being having lighter skin made sense, or having almond shaped bodies made sense. Or let's think about something like having a smaller appendix. Right? Our appendix doesn't really do anything, okay. it's there. Is that what it's called, the appendix? You know, I don't know. That's cute. <laughs> I don't know. You can look up where the rest of your body is. Well, I yeah. <laughs> um, 
In other animals, the appendix is for digesting cellulose. There's a bunch of, there's gut bacteria that live in the appendix. There's gut bacteria living in your appendix. Um, and what it does is it digests cellulose. In other words, paper, you know, well, not paper, but wood. Right? So if you could eat wood, but we can't. Well, you can eat it, you just, <laughs> you don't digest it. Now, we stopped, there, there were lines of humans that ate basically bamboo, things like that. So wood. They can eat bamboo shoots because they're awesome. But I mean whole bamboo like wood. No. Don't go eat a wicker chair. I advise against as your attorney, I advise you not to eat wicker chairs. But it would be then advantageous to have a smaller appendix to start like so mutation. It's like, well, we don't it's smaller and smaller. Because our diet doesn't include that anymore. Why is that advantageous? Because if it's not doing anything positive, the only thing it's ever going to do is get infected. Right? So that's why we can get appendicitis, which up to 50 years ago killed you. Appendicitis would just kill you. Right? Nowadays, if you went to the doctor and said, I'm in sharp pain, it hurts right here. And they look, they go, yeah, well, you'll be in the hospital for a couple of days, you'll take your appendix out. It used to be like often it would just kill people. So that would be an advantage. But it's very, very rare. Or the salt and pepper moth. You know about the salt and pepper moth? So there's this moth in, in, in Britain um, that is, well, it's called salt and pepper moth because it's kind of like white with black spots on it. Okay? Um, now, there are a lot of sort of birch-like kind of trees in Britain, birch trees, you know, and they're like, you know, you know birch bark looks like. It's white, it's got black kind of spots on it. Great camo, great camouflage for those moths. They're just up against the tree. Birds can't see them. Excellent. Then the Industrial Revolution hits the UK, right? And there's soot everywhere in the because they're burning coal. Now the trees are black. Being salt and pepper colored is like saying, hey, over here, birds, want to eat? So a mutation shows up where the, the little black flecks are huge and cover the whole moth. That is advantageous. Suddenly the salt and pepper morph, like version, disappears. Same species, by the way. But now they're all black. You can see that that's quite an advantage. And it happened very, very quickly. Right after World War II, there were, there's a bird called the black, black-capped warbler. And they live, um, they, 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 they live in the summer in Britain, and they winter, typically, uh, in North Africa. Well, that makes sense. But right after the war, people started noticing that there were some black-capped warblers wintering in Germany. Southern Germany, okay, so like, you know, the mountains of Bavaria, not known in the winter for its warm climes. In other words, you know, it's just the Alps. It's not hot there. What are they doing there? Well, there's a lot of people that had bird feeding became a popular thing, having a bird feeder in your backyard. People would put up bird feeders. 
for some reason, it became this really popular hobby in Germany. Because they have any wildlife left? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every day I've ever met in Germany is like a bird hobbyist. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> thing. I don't know what it's, no, it's true. Have. There's something weird about Germany. There's a lot of weird things about Germany. Um, <laughs> I have a German name, you know, German Swiss. But yeah, you know, there's all, every culture's got their own thing. A lot, Audubon and society, you know, uh, they're into, it's a, it's a thing. People like feeding birds. It's just like it's a huge hobby in Germany, and apparently it really took off after the war. Feeding birds, being a birder, all that stuff. Now, normally, a mutation that would show up and have birds navigate to high mountains in the cold would be bad. Except that it turned out to be advantageous because it's like, hey, look, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. It turned out within 20 years, it was a whole version of black-capped warblers that were wintering in southern Germany. And people at first thought that they learned this because that's pretty cool. They're passing. Turns out, in fact, it's a single freaking gene that's affecting their compass, telling them, don't go straight south, go southeast. It's amazing. It's one of my uh, favorite papers, actually. Um, because it's just cool to see this, because they actually did crosses of these animals, and they found out that they did, and it's a dominance-recessive relationship, and it's actually dominant. Very cool. Very cool. You see, the environment, which is caused by humans, in this case, was affecting the evolution of other animals. Questions? So far? Makes sense? Yeah, John. How did the... Uh he was like, how did the genes, you know how, okay, genes are a certain way before the people started feeding the birds? Yeah. Okay. How, how did the genes get a quote cue to, for mutation to arise? Like, they don't. It's a bad conscious. It's random genes. Now there is, there are effects of environment on the genes themselves that might make bad copies more likely. Right, radiation, for example, is this. Right? This is why you get problems with um, hypernuclear vaccines, right? where you know you, you concerns about wildlife around Chernobyl, places like that, places like that, um, or Fukushima in Japan. Right? There's, there's, there's a concern about that. It's not necessarily quite as bad as if people had guessed. Um, concerns about wildlife in Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the war, um, and the humans as well. And there's a lot more genetic diseases, cancers, things like that, because a lot of bad copies of genes get Ionizing radiation does a lot. But so can other things. But it, it, usually it's just random chance, dumb luck. You know, when you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, you know, remember back making, remember when VCRs were around? You know, when you'd make a tape and then you'd make a tape of a tape? You look at it and go, it doesn't look as good as it did when it was on TV. So it's just, it's copying mistakes mostly. Yeah. There's not anything necessarily causing it. It can just be just dumb luck. Yeah, but it's just it's basically dumb luck. It's mostly just random chance. Um, this is a pretty complicated process. Making up an animal, and there's going to be mistakes, basically. Okay. Other questions? That was a good question. All right. Now, how does DNA work? Um, okay, there are things called base pairs, and there are four of them. 
adenine, thymine, cytosine, guanine, right? So CGTA. And as you can see here, A always goes with T, and G always goes with C. So this is what DNA, uh, now it's not all twisted around like it normally is in the helix, but let's ignore that for now. Sits like this. Now, sometimes what is going to happen is it's going to split apart into two segments. Right? So now what's going to happen is A is going to go with T, right? So that G with C, etc. So you can make copies of yourself. This is a self-replicating molecule. This is something that makes it really, really cool. What those base pairs can also do is they can code for proteins. So they can split apart. I'll go with that in a second. Do you understand how this works, though? I mean, I'm not going to get all into this. Take genetics if you want to learn all about that stuff. It's very cool. Then it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about. Just know that they copy each other. There's only four base pairs. By the way, you know, ATCG, this is why the movie is named Gattaca. Get that. G all, name all had A's and G's and C's and D's. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh. Watch on Netflix. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm watching on Netflix? is the, uh, the new Sherlock Holmes from the BBC. Have you seen this show? Oh, it's awesome. There's only three episodes so far. They're like 90 minutes long. But he's like, it's the 21st century. And he's just a cool guy. But he's just like Sherlock Holmes. He's a complete ass. Dr. Watson was injured not in a Boer War, but in Afghanistan. You should see it. It's great. It will destroy all other versions of Sherlock Holmes for you. I just thought I'd... This lecture brought to you by the BBC. I don't know if you heard about it, Dave, but you probably did because it's been on the news a lot. But they found at the University of Ottawa this virus that will replicate itself in in cancerous tissue, but only in the cancerous tissue itself. And it's so advantageous is because it can replicate itself and um, it works to attack the cancerous tissue. It's like amazing when I read the books. Well, I mean, it's a, lot, a lot of these viruses are so specialized, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the beauty of this is what you want is it's going to kill cancer cells, mm-hmm. right? And once you know that mechanism, I mean, that's extensively. <laughs> once you know the mechanism why it's going to kill, why it's going to kill cancer cells, you can piggyback on lines of shooting that virus. You know, um, and, you know, I've, I've said before that I think within 10 years we'll have most kinds of cancer cure. Just because. Things like that, people sort of understand what the biotech angle to that, you know, I think in about 20 years most diseases will be on. Yeah. And then it'll be like Torchwood Miracle Day, because we'll all be living forever. Anybody watch Torchwood? It's, it's a TV built to be a reference for everything. But yeah, I mean, I, if we manage not to completely screw up everything within the next 29 years, I, I imagine, um, oh, 20 years is nothing. I don't worry about you. I remember about like your guys' grandchildren. They're screwed. But who cares? I'll be dead. Um, my genes will somehow live on. So Z with G. So this thing can split open and they copy themselves. It can also split open and those base pairs can make proteins. 
So what happens here is genes encode proteins. DNA, uh, again, I'm not going to get all into this, uh, but because there's deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA, and ribonucleic acid, just RNA. So we, get, we go from DNA to RNA and RNA to proteins. That's an, an exceedingly simplified version of it, but that's all we really have to worry about. And proteins make your phenotype, like the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, and all kinds of other nifty things. Right? And the environment turns genes on and off. Now, some genes are less responsive to environmental effects than others. We think of melanin, skin color. It's, 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 a, it's a trait in humans that is severely affected by the amount of sun you get. Right? You develop less melanin if you spend less time in the sun. So this is why you can get people, and you can think about this, that have darker or lighter colored skin that all come from the same place, but then have moved away. Okay? So skin color is the best example, so I'm using it. And it's something I think we've all seen. Right? You take a look at people from the United States, uh, black people from the United States and Canada, who, you know, originally their ancestors were slaves, and they were brought here from West Africa. And then you look at people from West Africa. They're the same people, right? The same set of folks. Yet the people from West Africa have a lot darker skin. I wonder why that is. Well, this is, Africa's pretty sunny. From what I understand, it's kind of sunny there. Sunny with a chance of sweating is pretty much, that's the weather. Okay, now an example of this is my the disorder I have, which is a human ocular thinness albinism. Some of you, how many people have seen me talk about this before? Because I'll, I'll go through it quickly if you have. Most of you have. Okay, I'll, I'll not go through Not just look here. Um, there's a single gene for the production of melanin. It's a little simpler than that. Melanin is skin color uh, pigment. It's actually a single gene for the production of tyrosine, which, um, sorry, tyrosinase, which is an enzyme. And tyrosinase breaks down tyrosine. And when tyrosine, and that's part, breaking down tyrosine is part of the process for making melanin. And melanin is uh, pigment. Okay. But just think of it as the production of melanin. That's fine. Now, normal would be, and I just called it A, and little a is bad, which would be uh, not producing melanin. So it's a pure dominance recessive relationship. So we've got all these possibilities, just like with eye color. And they all lead to normal phenotype like you guys. And little a, little a leads to me because I have octolipidian examples. I don't make pigment. Right? I have no pigment in my skin and I have no pigment in my hair. Literally, if you look at my hair under a microscope, it is clear. I can't put that on my passport though, I wrote blonde. Because, you know, it's just hair color. I think, you know, technically my hair's clear, but I think some people think that made a smart ass. So. And I don't have a problem with the word normal. 
I'm not normal. I'm not normal. Look around. <laughs> I was new flight once and I was, uh, when I was teaching and I was walking along and I heard someone say, have you seen that psych craft? Dyes his hair? <laughs> I turned around and I said, you think I dyed my eyebrows and eyelashes as well? <laughs> Never taught it. I said, no, I don't. I built this way. I refuse to quote Lady Gaga. I will say built. Um, okay, so there's my folks. Call me Dad. I miss you, Dad. Rick and Leslie. Um, they must be because they had a kid like me. Um, be Big A Lil A or Lil A Big A or whatever the hell they are. Or were. Were in the case of Dad, is in the case of Mom. Fuck, I miss my father. I'm sorry, I swore there, but my dad's dead. It bugs him. Um, so, these pictures, by the way, were 10 years old, but I wanted to get ones that we all taken about for the same time. Um, they're taken from my grandmother's. I don't know, 85th birthday? She turned 95, my grandmother. My dad's home. Okay. They're phenotypically normal. Look at them, they get fake, they get pigment. Right. They had a one in four chance they were having a kid with little a, little a, because there's four possibilities. They get a big A, they get a little A, little A, big A, little A, little A. It's one in four. And of course they did on June 23rd, 1965. <coughs> um, my genotype must be little A, little A, because there is no dominance, right, with this. Uh, it's got to be two copies of recessive genes, so we know that that's my, my, my genotype. I have both bad copies. I'm, I'm the one on the left. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm about two and a half there. Probably two. We're living, we're living in those apartments on Lake Street, just across the street from Churchill Plaza. Yeah. They were expensive. They were, seriously, they were $95 a month. It was 1960. Well, that picture, 1967. Yeah. Nice glasses, Dave, by the way. They go home with dad. They go with styling glasses. <laughs> there were no stylish glasses in the 60s, except if you had those kind of cat glasses. And I wasn't going to wear glasses like a 20 year old woman. I used to throw them off the balcony. <laughs> One of the few pictures of me as a kid that I paid for my glasses. I was about 18. I wasn't throwing them off balconies when I was 18. I Okay, now, my brother and my sister, they may be carriers of the gene, they may not, we don't know, because they're phenotypically normal, and their kids, if they carry the allele, could be too. And you can see uh, my brother and my sister, they're both phenotypically normal. Right? So, they might carry it, they might not, but there's a two in three chance they do, right? Because if they have a normal phenotype, they could be big A, big A, big A, little A, or little A, big A, right? Be any of these. And their kids then have, a, if they carry it, have a one in two chance of carrying the gene. But they, and their kids are all typically normal. So, whereas our kids, as Madeleine and John, Isabel, so you may know, or as Professor Michaud of the French department, um, they have to carry the other monkeys because I have two little legs. I, I, the only thing I can give are little legs. I can't give big legs. Right? 
And we know they got a big A from Isabel um, by looking at their phenotype. Chances of Isabel actually carrying the gene are is, is exceedingly small. Uh, this disorder I have is one in 17,000 live births, so it's, it's pretty unlikely that she carries it. So you need to understand the genetics behind this first, makes sense. Most of you do. Now behaviorally, uh, I can't go in the sun very much. And that's because I, I, I can't tan. Because I can't make pigment, so I just burn it. So I, I can't. So there is a, if you want to think of it, a purely genetic reason why I don't go in the sun. I have what's called photophobia. That's technically what it's called. It doesn't mean I'm afraid of the sun. Ooh, life! The time is trying to kill me! No, it just insisted that they describe it that way. Um, I have very poor vision because melanin guides the growth of the visual system. Um, so my vision is, my visual acuity is 2200. I'm legally blind with my glasses on. 2200 means, um, so I have 10% normal visual acuity. I see the same detail that you do at 200 meters, I see at 20. Right? This is why I look at things this closely. Because from here, I know that's just press control, alt, delete, to log on, because that's when it's always set. But to actually be able to read that clearly, I'm here. Uh, I don't have binocular vision, so I don't see three dimensions. Uh, the whole world to me is like 2D, it's like a film, uh, which means I want 3D movies to fail. Uh, it's like, I bet when Color TV came out, I bet, I bet there were guys who were colorblind going, I hate, I want this to fail, it's stupid. I don't want that buy a TV I can't even see. Because soon the next TV I buy is going to have to be 3D, because it'll all be like that, and it'll cost extra 100 bucks, which I can spend on liquor. <laughs> uh, I can't drive a car. I can't drive a car because of my I can't drive a car because of a genetic reason. It's not that I don't have a car driving gene. Right? So we can take interesting steps here. I'm never going to baseball. Because, you know, what with the hitting of the ball or the catching of the ball. I played baseball as a kid, but a lot of times you can ball bling, in the face, you know. So, and these are just things that I just, you know, thought of uh, off the top of my head. Um, that part's. I'm, I'm not, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I'm not going to say my IQ is. I know my IQ is, I'm going to tell you. Um, any questions about that? Or any questions about me if you want to ask them because you can if there's a bottom. Dave, yeah, please. Two people who have like blonde or clear patches in their hair. Yeah. How? I don't know how that works. I mean, it might be something like, it could be like, well, you have two different colored eyes. And I have like that, and I have a friend that has two different colored eyes. What that means is you have a different genome in each eye, which is kind of cool. It's called a genetic mosaic. It happens, so we feel it could be that they have. Uh, a genetic, well, in other words, a different genome just that little part of their, their head. That is conceivable. That's awesome. That's the best explanation I can think of. But I don't actually know. Yeah. But I know it's like lies, for example. My aunt has green eye and blue eye. Uh, and that means that she asked me one day, there's also a way, my aunt somehow blames herself for my bad vision. I don't understand. So, no, how can that be? I, I, I explained to her so it means you have a different set of genes in each eye. And then she was even more upset. It's no big deal. So you know, you see it, it's more common in cats. You see cats sometimes have different colored eyes? You see it in people, it's no big deal. Like I said, another friend, a friend who works here, who has different colored one eye, 
different color than the other. No big deal. Just means different genes in the job. Why is it more common in cats? I don't know. I really don't know. But you, you will see it in people. A lot of times people will wear a colored contact lenses to sort of block it, but I think it kind of looks cool, actually. That's it. You know. Anything you want to know about this? Uh, and I don't mind if it's personal, I don't give a crap. Okay. Anytime you want to ask me, just ask me. I really don't care. That's why. Um, now, there's partial, we can think of partial dominance as well. So that was a full dominance recessive relationship, and that was the people, or person. Um, partial dominance, what we have here are two different uh, kinds of crickets. So we got uh, Teleobrilius oceanicus and T. okay? What they are are two different kinds, basically, of crickets. The males call to attract mates. They make a noise. You know, crickets make a noise. They... And the function of that, the custom function, the function of that is to attract mates. Okay? As it very often is with calls and songs and a lot of things. Um, the song is species specific. And this makes some sense. You want to be saying, hey, ladies, but only two ladies in your own species. You don't want to be mating with a different species. It's probably a waste of your, a waste of your sperm, basically, right? Nobody wins if you, if you... These mixed marriages never work. Yeah, please. Is that actually happen? Oh, yeah, sure. And, well, a lot of times what you can get is you can get a hybrid, but it's not viable. What happens when you have a blood? But it, usually it's just enough viable. So you get... Um, let's say you can cross a donkey and a horse. You get, you get, a, you get a mule, right? But mules can't do this. You can get a tiger and a lion, right? You get a tiger or a liger. Um, it's amazing you still make reference to Napoleon Dynamite six years ago. I hate tigers, they smell like poo. You ever seen DVD extras? It's not that. Um, but they're not violent. Um, you could do this with, uh, whereas other times, like with a dog and a wolf, like a Cancinus and, um, and a wolf, oh, that's Cancinus, right? You actually do get something viable, but that's probably because dogs and wolves are pretty much the same thing. You can get viable offspring with some with Carolina chickadees and black cat chickadees, but that might again be because they're actually the same species. Right. Now, if we can make hybrids, so yeah, you can cross them. They produce a hybrid song. This is very cool because what they're producing is a song that is somewhere between. The two songs. That's the hybrid song. You know what the cool thing is? The male hybrids produce what we call a hybrid song, which is similar to the boat. The female hybrids prefer the hybrid song. And we can look at the song and, and look at the notes, and they're sort of halfway between the two. The males make a song that is somewhere between the two, and the females prefer that song of female hybrids. By the way, this is this is do these bugs get it on. See that? <laughs> yes, please. I have a question. What does it mean by male hybrid? A male hybrid, that's so you take you cross these two species, oh. you make a hybrid. So right? Different species? Yeah. You cross them, you get is you it possible? Yeah. Yeah, it is possible. It's possible, yeah. And, so, and sometimes they're uh, I was just saying her up here I said, sometimes they're viable. 
they can have offspring. Sometimes they aren't. Yep. Yep. So you've heard probably you talked about mutant hamsters. So stuff that Martin Ralph did. Martin Ralph is not a mutant hamster. Martin Ralph is a researcher. Um, Marty's a good guy. He, he discovered he invented it. He invented it. He's like some sort of god. Uh, he discovered the tau gene. Um, the tau gene is a gene that encodes for the uh, uh, internal clock of an animal. So if you have big T, big T, you've got a 24-hour cycle, roughly 24 hours, like we all have, right? Of sleep and wakefulness. Little T, little T leads to a 20-hour cycle. This is very, very, very bad. This would kill you very quickly. Uh, Marty found this when he was breeding hamsters. For experiments, he was a hamster breeder. From hamster breeder to well-known researcher, no. He was in graduate school, and he was breeding these hamsters, and he found these ones that had, you can see this guy here, they look kind of, the, the fur's kind of patchy a little bit, like they don't look healthy. And little t, big t, or big t, little t, he gives you a 22 hours. He ended up in graduate school with the cover of a little journal called Science for this discovery, by the way. Now, the thing about these hamsters, it's a single gene effect, and it affects brain development. Um, so it's a single gene, that tau gene, and the little t, little t allele, or the big t, little t allele, also, again, partial dominance. Um, it affects the development of part of the brain called the SCN. The SCN is your internal clock. It's your 24-hour clock. You can take an SCN out of an animal and put it in a Petri dish, and it'll pulse. It is a clock. Now, so what, he, what Marty's done is he's taken the SCN and the mutant hamsters and put them in wild type, that's just the regular ones, and he ends up with a hamster that has a 20-hour clock. So he can actually, he literally take part of their brain out and replace it with another one, and now they, their clock changes. There may be other cognitive effects here. There's certainly other health effects. It wouldn't be surprising if there's other cognitive effects. <coughs> you know, things like memory and stuff. This wouldn't be surprising at all. The biggest, in, 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 when we talk about genetics, the thing that people tend to study are the softwood, fruit flies. That's a fruit fly, very close up. You probably see fruit flies are not that big, that's not actual size. That would be disturbing. It would also, by the way, be impossible. Don't be worried about it. Just a thing would collapse on itself. They're basically the wire out of genetics. Um, what people do is they blast part of the genome with radiation, destroy part of it, and then, then there's a mistake, right? A mutation, and then um, they can do things like make genetic mosaics in these things. So, like, well, half their body will have this genome and half will have the other half. What they do is they also put a marker gene in. Say, okay, well, we'll make the part that has the bad, this gene red and the other half black, just so we know which half is which. That was a t technique developed by David Suzuki back when he was a scientist. 
Um, here's some good ones. Dunce. Uh, once they have the dunce allele, they can't learn. They're dunce. They're kind of slow. They're stupid. What do you mean learn? Well, there's a couple. Th- you can get even fruit flies to learn. It's pretty simple. Um, and one of the things you can to learn to do is avoid something. So you put them in a test tube or a jar, and you have a little um, uh, crawl that sh- shocks them. They learn pretty quickly, usually, when they land on that once. They get shocked. They never go back to it. And the dunce ones keep landing on them. Oh, wow. wonder if that's going to happen again. You know, so they're just kind of slow. They can't learn. Um, amnesia ones learn it and avoid, it for, avoid the little shock cry for 15 seconds and they come back. Because they forgot. Oh, I don't know. I figured something about that thing. I can't remember what it was. That's my dumb fruit fly voice. This is the character I'm testing out. Stuck. Uh, what happens with stuck is when they start to mate, they can't come unstuck. They mate, and they're like that forever. Is that those What's that? Is that those Are they stuck? Uh, yeah, I think maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's mating for life. That's a way to ensure monogamy. Uh, Quintus interruptus. This is one that pulls out. They start to make, but then he doesn't insert his spermatophore. I didn't want to have a kid. I thought we were just hooking up, baby. Okay. Uh, bang sensitive, which sounds like it's about sex, but it isn't. Um, when, you, when you hit the jar with your hand, they, they get sudden, they all get sort of knocked out for a while. Then they wake back up. For like 20 seconds, they wake back up. They're bang sensitive. And PER, my PER's my favorite one. PER stands for periodicity. It's uh, when you get a mutation to this gene, it affects hunting. So it affects their ability to put things like mating dances together, uh, to learn. It also affects their 24 hour clock. And if you take a look at the series of codons, the series of base pairs in that gene, And the series of base pairs in the tau gene, the hamster, 99% the same sequence. Which is very cool. It shows you that having a genome, or having a gene that, in, that, that, that codes for time somehow, was invented by evolution a very long time ago. Because the common ancestor of the fruit fly and the rat was a long time ago. And in fact, we know, we can even look at, there's a gene that does this that controls the, the rhythmic growth of fungus, of fungi. And it hybridizes with those genes at about 99% as well. <laughs> Evolution's cool! We'll do this side and finish up. They might have to go to the other building and they like, no, nobody has a classroom in that place, right? So we can finish this thing. Why are there different alleles? Why different versions of white, blue, and brown alleles? Things like that. Um, on the surface, if some alleles better than the other, why not just have everybody have that one? Right? Why would the one that wasn't quite as good, why does it survive? Um, that's just a question. I don't know. Well, are there neutral alleles? Ones that 
the blue or brown eyes or green eyes, who the hell cares, that kind of thing. You probably, that's probably an example right there. Well, part of it, so these two questions, how do we answer these two things? Well, there's environmental fluctuation. So, over time, over the short term, everything being a little bit different makes no sense. But over the longer term, it makes a great deal of sense. If the, if the environment was completely, completely, completely stable, we should just be making copies of ourselves. Right? But it isn't stable. It changes all the time. Something that seems neutral now might not have been neutral 200,000 years ago. Maybe very advantageous. Or maybe or it was disadvantageous. But also. There's also, I mentioned this heterozygote superiority thing before. The idea of having two different versions of something is good both often for the individual that has the two different alleles, but it's also usually good for their likely uh, offspring. There's also something called frequency-dependent selection. Sometimes something is good, but only if it's rare. It's only good if it's rare. It's not good if it's common. I'll give you an example. There are, among fish, there are fish that basically pretend to be female, but they're male. So what happens with these little fish, these fish, is that the females are swimming along, and then they also have males swimming with them. But the males are the females sort of think that they're males, but they're actually females. Guess who gets the first mating opportunity? These girly men do. Now, if that was really common, because the females, the best females always like it, because it makes sense, because females have fewer eggs, the males have sperm, etc. Females almost always do the choosing. Right? There's data on this like crazy if you ask men, or even on humans. Great piece of data here. If you randomly ask men, if a woman goes up to a man randomly at a university campus and says, Will you have sex with me? 70% of men say, Okay. And they've never met. You know what percentage of women say that? They answer that? Yes? Zero. <laughs> now there's data on this. I'm not making those numbers. Same thing with fish. You invest in them with females more than men. So the females have to choose them. Now, if all the males were these fake females, the females would evolve to detect it, right? So it's only advantageous if it's rare. By the way, you know what these males are called, technically, in the literature? Do you know what they're called? They are called sneaky fuckers. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. That is what they are called. People in animal behavior have a sense of humor. So you hear people at a conference, I'm studying uh, sneaky fuckers, and it's like, the first time you go, what? Oh yeah, that stuff. I didn't know that's what they called. You'll see it like in a paper, in a journal article. It's great. Right. Um, probably should stop there, but yes, question. Yeah, they also, they typically basically look like females. Yeah, they look like, it's like, you know, think about uh, a lot of birds, but females look like, and males are different. Same thing with a lot of these fish and females. These males just look like females. This is the reason I pierced my ears, just so maybe I had a chance in the All right. Hey, guys, so we'll finish this up on uh, Monday.
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.